Hey everybody, welcome to Hacking Into Security, your career-related cybersecurity show. I'm your host, Ricky Burke, the InfoSec recruiter, and regularly we'll be catching up with a variety of guests from CISOs, entrepreneurs, VCs, new people into the industry, and more. Each sharing their story, industry knowledge, and advice on how others can navigate success in their career. So sit back, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Hacking Into Security. I'm your host, Ricky Burke, and today we're joined by Mubix, also known as Rob Fuller. Welcome. Hey, how's it going? Pretty well. How are you, Rob? To be honest, so in my house, we don't say good because it's a cop-out, but to be honest, I'm I'm not doing awesome. I'm, I'm happy to be here, but like I've just had a not-so-great day. So, But that's not any of your fault. <laughs> so, sorry to hear that. So, Rob, for those that don't know you, I guess first question is, who are you? That's an existential question. I am, how do you define a person? I am generally thought of in the community in InfoSec as a pen tester slash red teamer. I am a father of three awesome kids, three boys. They're, they're amazing. United States Marine, that's a title that I own. Who, who am I is a very interesting question that I, I actually think about all the time. So, Okay, cool. Does it, does it change day by day? It does. It really does. And that's cool. And that's okay. And I actually enjoy that I keep my self-image as malleable because I like learning and I like to self-improve. That's what I want to say. I, I, not malleable as in like chameleon, malleable as in improvement or yeah, learning well, to do better. So certainly looks like you uh, help others do that as well. Thanks. And uh, I guess in that sort of who are you thing, I, I, I know you for or see you from a sort of, I don't know, uh, internet perspective, but I guess in the real world and from a professional perspective, what, what do you actually do these days? So I work for Black Hills Information Security, BHIS. It's a company out of South Dakota. I live in Virginia, which is nowhere close to South <laughs> Dakota, but it was a company started by John Strand, Strand JS, a person who is really well known in the community. And I joined the company to to help with purple teaming and nice. kind of the after effects of pen testing. So I don't know if we're ready to get transition to that, but I, for me, a little bit about who I am is I, the best part of pen testing for me, the best part of red teaming for me is after I give the report. And the actual changes and the actual, you know, moving of the mountain happens, right? And so that's where I love and to work. I'm a builder by conscious, I guess. And being able to change and make companies better is literally what I enjoy most about the security community and the job itself. That's awesome. Um, def- definitely keen to learn more, especially about the purple taming side. But I guess, I guess before that, you've not always been in security. So you mentioned obviously Marine. So I yeah. guess how, how did you go from Marine and, and to, to get you to where you are today? Maybe let's rewind the tape backwards instead of going forwards. Let's go with, so before before I worked at BHIS, I worked at Cruise Automation, which is a, a car company that does like self-driving cars before that uber and both of those i was kind of more red team slash purple team before that ibm r5 industries general electric the pentagon senate like worked at a bunch of places doing offense and defense security 
stuff. But when I was in the Marine Corps, I actually had the chance of being part of the Marine Corps CERT. And that was actually my first job in security, first professional experience in security. And talking about like getting thrown to the lion's den, (laughs) people are trying to attack the U.S. government networks constantly, like all the time. And like having to dig through all of that, it was just such a learning like fire hose event for me that I, I knew that that's what I loved, right? Just security in general was exactly where I knew I would, I would want to be. But before that, that was actually my second four years in the Marine Corps. My first four years, because I did eight, first four years in the Marine Corps was as a combat engineer, which means explosives expert, which doesn't really translate to IT stuff really well in, in Okinawa, Japan. And I did four years over there. I didn't actually didn't see any combat. So I, I'm not, I don't have any cool ribbons or stars or medals of valor or anything. I didn't avoid it. I just didn't happen to, like, I didn't volunteer to go to Iraq. And that, I guess, was the, the or Afghanistan. I, I, I would go if I needed to, but I didn't, I didn't have any urges to go, you know, into war. But yeah, that was my first four years in the Marine Corps doing explosives. And then before that, it was all like service industry stuff, like as an 18-year-old kid, just learning how things work. My actual first job ever was as a web page developer for a company that my teacher in high school suggested I do. And it was the most horrific website ever. (laughs) I knew exactly that I didn't want to do that ever again. So, yeah. Good way to learn what you like and what you don't like. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Okay. So in the Marines doing explosives, what, what does that mean? Sorry. Creating explosives. So doing the chemical makeup, the chemistry, building, using, setting, and targeting with explosives. So because I didn't actually see combat, I never actually did that to anyone or to a thing. But I, in many exercises, we built out one of one of my favorite stories of this is of that part of my life is because we were in Okinawa, one of the exercises we did was to Camp Fuji, which is near the mountain of Fuji in Japan. And one of the biggest explosive ranges, so just like a a rifle range or a firing range, there's also explosive ranges where where you can explode ordnance to learn, right? To try and train uh, people to handle and use and and the effects of explosives and one of the biggest explosive ranges that the u.s military has is on camp fuji and it's a 300 pound maximum range so that means that you can explode a maximum of 300 pounds of c4 on that range without getting anything in trouble now i don't know how much you know about explosives but 300 pounds of c4 makes a big boom and we actually caused a little bit of an avalanche on, on that side and that, and wow. of Mount Fuji. And it's it, that range is in a specific location near Mount Fuji for the specific reason that, that those types of avalanches are not going to hurt anyone, not going to affect anyone and stuff like that. So like it was safe, but I can say, you know, that I was, a, I, I didn't actually push the button, but I was part of an explosion that shook Mount Fuji. <laughs> Gosh, that's that's an experience in itself. Yeah. Okay. So how how do you go from, I guess, 
making and creating explosives to, to then in, I guess, IT and in security? I don't know. I like, I was always a computer geek essentially, but it was more gaming than anything IT related, security related, even. So actually I've told this story before, but like when I tried to look at hacking, cause that, you know, I watched the movie hackers and, and, and stuff like that. I was very into it. My first experience. Yeah. Yeah. My first experience with that, the hacking community and the reason I didn't like it initially was because I joined on Fnet pound hack. And for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's a IRC network. And in, in hash, you know, the channel name hack, I went in and said, Hey, can I learn how to hack? How does this work? And the first response I got was someone saying, Hey, so what OS are you on? And I said, I'm trying out Mandrake Linux and I have Mandrake Linux. And they were like, awesome. You're already set to go. All the tools are there. All you have to do is type init six. And I'm like, cool, I'll do that. And I typed init six. And for those who don't know, init six on a Linux machine initializes the runtime of or run level of six, which is reboot. And so I rebooted my machine and I had the <laughs> naivety to then go and say, that didn't work. How do I do it? What was the command again? And they told me again and I did it again. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, after a few times, I think I even tried it a third time before I started catching on. Like I am, I am not quick witted in that sense. <laughs> <laughs> I finally got it. I got upset and I didn't want to, you know, do anything in security or, you know, hacking after that. Cause I thought everyone was an ass. And anyways, that's kind of where, I, but before that, the reason like, I think that my mindset is security related or security driven is because before that, my earliest like concept of security was playing with old video games. And I actually didn't like playing video games as much as I like cheating at video games. <laughs> and, and my mom in particular really hated that. She's like, why do you even play the game if you're going to cheat at it? And for me, it wasn't, it wasn't about like actually winning the game. It was about the cheat itself. And, and so the game genie back in the day and the game shark back in the day, these were two extra things that you could buy for, I think it was like Super Nintendo, Nintendo, Sega Genesis and stuff. You could put in these codes for, for cheats and these codes would then freeze memory spaces. And I didn't know what I was doing at the time, I could search for these memory spaces. And so what you'd do is like if your health was at 100 and then you would go and get hit by one bad guy and then you could push a button and it would say, okay, what is the value now? And it would search through memory and find that, that value in memory and then it could freeze it. And so you would never die because you could freeze it at 100 or change it to 99 <laughs> every time you got hit. And that, that was really that spark, I think, looking back on like my childhood, where I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Like, I didn't know it at the time, but that's really where my happy space was, was cheating at video games, but not cheating to win, but cheating for the cheat itself. And yeah. I think that's what hacking or red teaming or pen testing is all about. Yeah, you've obviously got that curious mindset. That's interesting. So 
eventually i guess you got your your move into offensive security pen testing so you've gone from i guess hacking or computer hacking to getting a role professionally doing that so how, how did that come around so that happened so like i said in when i was in the marine corps i got the opportunity to be an instant responder for the marine corps and learning how you know the best of the best attacked government networks was really where I started learning. But I'll tell you where I really got the most of my knowledge was when I became a red team member for the Cyber Collegiate Defense Competition, the Mid-Atlantic Region, CCDC. And when I started playing in that, that game is when I started really trying to up my game because as a, as a red teamer in that event, I had to, I had to be so invisible because the, the, you know, the other contestants, the blue team is, is literally sitting at the console looking directly at you. I had to be so invisible that doing that really taught me to be a, a real red teamer. And I actually got my first job as a real red teamer or as a pen tester at the Pentagon, mostly because I just had the credentials, the clearance and all that. I didn't really have the skills at the time, but the opportunity was, was, and the skill set and the knowledge really came from being part of CCDC. So my transition per se was kind of twofold. It was the knowledge set getting from those extracurricular activities and then the, you know, the open door of having a clearance very very helpful <laughs> yeah yeah i cheated basically i cheated getting into offensive security there's there's a lot of <laughs> sounds very appropriate <laughs> yep okay and, and then what happened after that after i worked i did i was quote unquote a pen tester at the pentagon which really wasn't really much of pen testing at the time i got a job working as a security consultant doing real red teaming offensive and i don't think i don't even think there was a term coined at the time but we did adversary simulation against really large companies and and really big targets and and that was that was getting thrown into the deep end again where everyone i worked with knew way more than i did and i learned so much at that job and after that i had enough working for government stuff that then I worked for Rapid7 doing consulting for pen testing. So I went from red teaming, like hardcore red teaming, back to pen testing. And then... Um, what was that What was that like out of interest, that transition? So it sucked, to be absolutely honest. But it was such a good learning opportunity. The reason why I think it's looking like I hated it then. I was so frustrated. Everything I did there, like I loved the family at Rapid7. I hated the job. But looking back on it, I probably learned way more than I'll ever admit there because I had to deal with pen tests from start to finish. Like as soon as as soon as the you know the customer was interested in the sale the sales engineers and the salespeople would hand it off to us to take it from rules of engagement uh, on. And, and learning all of that business aspect, learning all of the different personalities you have to deal with, with small to medium businesses to 
larger businesses to corporations, that opportunity to learn how those those mindsets are and what what is important to a big company might not be as important to a small company or or the security realms in those different fields and the different politi- uh, politics that go into it. Like if you're talking to a single person shop at a small company for security, you're not going to talk to them the same way you would a large corporation and their politics are very different. If like mm. there was, there was times where I was talking to a, a CSO and he was literally the only security person at the company. And right, like, okay. He was also the IT help desk kind of thing, <laughs> right? And he was super open to all of my suggestions and all of the criticisms and, and wanting to get better. And, and it was amazing working with those types of people. And then there were like medium companies who had like their first security organization where, where the individuals or the points of contact were much lower on the totem pole and had to, you know, get buy-in for every action and every test thing. And they didn't want to look bad at all. So you had to make the reports, even if they were horrible, look good in some way, for, shape or fashion. Like, like there was a positive movement or something like that. Like learning all of those little intricacies of how what works for different companies and work works for different scenarios, I wouldn't trade for the world. Now, would I ever go back there? Probably not. <laughs> But I learned an amazing amount by doing that. Yeah, I guess that that commercial aspect and the, and the different nuances is very, very important. Yeah, and like being able to talk business and being able to talk business from a security standpoint at different levels is so important. And learning what is, you know, what's good to say, what's bad to say, what what are trigger things for different organizations or types of organizations like if you say that there's a social security number in a text file at a you know at a canning company they're gonna like meh it off and say okay yeah we we definitely probably should clean that up but if you say i found a social security number at a hospital or a healthcare organization they will flip through the roof right Mm. so because that's a hipaa violation and they could be fined lots and lots of money. And so they they take it super seriously and, and go straight at it and want to know like instantly where, you know, that canning organization probably wants to just see it in the end, re- end report and not really get bothered by it, right? So like, again, learning all of those different aspects and being open to that, whereas, you know, a, a standard security practitioner says, this is how I see the world in security. And I think every company should do these basics. And that's one of the big problems was is talking about basics and because every company is different when it comes to that. But like many people in security have these mindsets where it's not malleable. Like these are the security best practices. Why aren't you doing them? And like shaking their fist at these companies. And it's just like every every single company is different. Their their needs, wants and and desires are are different. And learning that was was probably one of the most important pieces of my of my career that's interesting i I guess it's one of those things you can be told it maybe it's a different thing to actually go through it though yeah and i i I went through it kicking and screaming i I will tell (laughs) you i will tell you that like i was that you know 
that tester, that pen tester that would say, why aren't you doing it this way? Uh, and like, it took me a long time to kind of get that, you know, that mindset to be able to be, again, malleable in the sense that these companies are different. Like they want different things. And what you think is important is probably not what's important to them. And that that's really hard for a tester to get, you know, their head wrapped around. Yeah, di- different interests or different, yeah, I guess different priorities. Yeah. So I guess you had a pr- different experience than going internal, working at GE and then other companies like Uber as well. Yeah, absolutely. So working internal, I am in, I guess the best word would be infatuated with internal internal security organizations have the most impact and or have the best opportunity to have the most impact and working for GE and Uber I got to work on projects for security and I did tests for them and and red team assessments and all these things that you would expect out of an internal pen tester internal red teamer but when I started to see systemic issues, things that kept showing up in reports, no matter what part of the company, what part of the company that I tested, that's when like that light bulb turned on in me and was like, oh, this is something I can really sink my teeth into and get fixed at a, a much larger part of the organization. Like for instance, a one of the organizations I worked with, they had this application that was part of their IT deployment that would then create a ran- This is before LAPS existed, the Microsoft tool that changes passwords automatically. So they had this tool inside of IT that would randomize the passwords for every single computer that gets deployed via IT, which is awesome, way, a bit, way ahead of its time. However, it did this via a web app that happened when it first booted up. And this web app was not very well secured And so I was able to find that this password was actually being set in a very predictable way. And so it was able to, we were able to figure out a way to see those passwords in, in a bunch of different tests and see those passwords were predictable in a bunch of different tests, but then tracing it back to that application that then set that password across the entire organization and then working with different parts of the company to get that application not only discontinued, but changed in the fact in a way that it made difference right then nice. on changing all the passwords. That's something I keep on my resume yeah. because it, it was such a big change and it was such a big impact. It was so great working with so many different people to get that done that that's what I enjoy and that's what I love about being an internal team because as a pen tester, like as a red teamer or someone external, you do the best that you can by finding as many vulnerabilities and, and talking through the, the, the security patches and, and, and changes that you suggest they do, but you never see the result. Like unless you pen test them again <laughs> like a year anything. later or whatever, <laughs> and they haven't done anything probably, but like you don't get to help them through that. Yeah. And that's, and and I wish that more pen test companies would bill more time and actually, unfortunately, like that's how it has to go because they're outside, but go and help organizations make those changes because just saying like, I 
I saw a SQL injection and you should totally validate or, or sanitize input. There's that is, that's it. You should totally sanitize your input. I see that on findings and I get pissed because there isn't a single person who works as an internal IT person who can say, yep, I know how to do that. I am going to just push the sanitize input button and it will be fixed. <laughs> it's an easy right? fix. Right. So getting the opportunity to go and help organizations fix the vulnerabilities in pen test reports and fix those actual changes that need to happen is really what the work I think the security community in general should be doing better with. And that's what I want to be doing with my life is, is working through those systemic issues, finding where those things are, because that's when, that's when the needle actually changes. No, and I guess, is that, I guess, from a purple taking point of view, are you seeing that more? Yes. Yes. And everyone defines purple teaming differently. And I'm, again, I'm pretty open to the different definitions, but when it comes to doing a pen test or doing any type of offensive actions on an organization and then working with the blue teams to then fix, detect, or respond to those actions is really where purple teaming shines. And I, I wish that more more organizations were open to that. It's just more time intensive, right? For a pen test, like if I wanted to get my annual pen test done, I can pay for a pen test company. I might have to hop on like two or three calls and then I can just get the report and I'm done with it. I can, you know, I can... Tick the ignore. box. Right, I can tick the box. And unfortunately, purple teaming is a lot more involved. It, it requires someone from your organization or someone from the organization to spend hours and hours and hours with those pen testers or those assessors to then try different things, see if they get detected, see if there's a patch for it and do all these things. So it's a hard sell. I'll tell you that. Like, it's just hard. Is it, um, I mean, just based on your, your knowledge of what you've seen on her, is it maybe an educational thing where organizations need to, like I say, it's, sort of, it's a hard sell, but sort of help educate the customers on the benefits and what it means for them? Yes. And that's, that's really what I mean. The hard sell is because most people go to a pen test firm expecting I need to tick the box. I need to do the pen test. I I'm trying to get the security organization better by doing a pen test. And so I'm going to do the pen test, but I already have as a security professional inside of our organization, 500 other things that I need to get done. Mm. So I can't spend the time with the pen tester to do a purple team assessment. So the hard sell is one, getting them understanding what the benefits are. And two, since we're already on that path for pen test because they've come to us for a pen test, it's hard to shift gears into that purple team. Time for a quick break. I'm Ricky Burke. In my full-time role, I'm the founder and director of CyberSec People, a leading cybersecurity recruitment company where we support organizations across the US and APAC in hiring cybersecurity talent. Through our connections and reach into the security community, our deep industry knowledge, we save organizations time when hiring. We have a 98% success rate and a three-year track record that demonstrates we only have to send on average two applicants to find success. If your organization is hiring, reach out as we'd love to discuss what that means for you. In the meantime, Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of the podcast. 
makes sense. So I guess for any, for any, let's say IT managers or people listening, I guess what, what are the main benefits you see of having a full purple team engagement? Two things for, if you're doing a purple team engagement to enhance your detection, there's really an, okay. So another two things, there's two things that really are the benefit there. So if you're enhancing the detection or the blue team side of things, the answer response side of things, then you're, you're making new rules that you didn't have before, or you're, you're seeing where your detection blind spots are. Right. And the other piece that is really awesome about purple teaming on the blue side of things, when it's red versus blue purple teaming, is that detection pipeline. Not, so a lot of people don't, don't worry about their detection pipeline as much as they should. So what I mean by detection pipeline is if I have, let's say that I have a very basic detection pipe or, or log pipeline, it goes from a Windows event log, then get gets into a forwarder from Splunk that then goes into Splunk then then is parsed by an alert policy but then is stored in a in a some sort of long storage or some kind of log store. So that's a very basic pipeline. But if at any time that Splunk forwarder stops working because of patch for it failed or didn't work or the network isn't working because there was an ACL that was put on the firewall that blocks the the Splunk forwarders from talking to the Splunk instance, or there's a Kafka thing broken, or Titanium starts breaking, or like all of these things are really hard to detect. If I asked any organization right now and I said, "Hey, when if do you have an alert that says 60% of my?" endpoints are no longer checking in and not a single one will say yes because it's just not built into EDR tools because we have remote workers and laptops and all of these systems going in and out and sometimes on and off and and sometimes laptops go into IT and stay off for a time it's a really hard problem to solve but what a purple team can do in the red versus blue standpoint is is try those those different failure modes and let's say I start blocking Splunk as one of my attack paths, right? One of the, one of the things that I do on, on red team assessments is I find the EDR solution, find the config for the EDR solution, and then block the IP. If you can't get logs, you can't see me, right? So if I can do that and they don't see it or don't see that a endpoint is no longer checking in or... Uh, or they don't see the right rules. There was actually a really cool blog post the other day about even infecting rules by making log entries that don't actually exist or don't actually mean anything and point to different IP addresses to make your instant responders go you know, on a wild goose chase. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's one benefit, right? So the other benefit to purple teaming is the, is the patch and, and secure side of things. And that's one thing that I don't think many people do right now is take a pen test report, be it last year's or this year's or whatever, and then go through each finding one by one and say, these are the ways to fix this. Here's the way to fix it at, you know, today, that's going to cost you $1,000 or, uh, you know, 10,000 man hours or whatever. And here's a way to fix it in six months. Here's a way to fix it in, uh, you know, with a tool or, or a, a 
piece of software and work with them to see what works for them, what works for their model. Can they put someone, you know, hands-on to make the change now? Can they put it into a change cycle, make the tickets for it? Like people just don't have the time to do all these things and having, having a purple team or do them. Like one of the things that I advocate for is give me access to your ticketing system. I will be that, you know, that, you know, executive assistant or that, you know, intern that inputs all of the findings into a ticketing system. So they actually get fixed because you can assign them to people. And like, that's a, that's a purple team to me, right? It might be menial work, but that, if that's the work that makes the change that makes the mountain move, I am totally down for it. And that's what I mean by purple teaming. Like it can be either one of those. Cool. And what, I guess in terms of sort of the makeup of a purple team, what sort of skills, if companies are looking to build out, I guess their functions or be aware, what, what do you think they should be incorporating? So that the great thing about that, those two different, different definitions, the red versus blue versus the assisted blue, I guess you would say is that, if you go assisted blue where you're, where you're doing the patching and securing part of it, you just need an IT background or some kind of knowledge about the infra- infrastructure that you're trying to fix or patch and, and how those attacks works. So a little bit of red teaming knowledge goes a long way in this, in this sense. As long as you don't bring with you the bravado of a red teamer or a pen tester, you're set for this type of testing, for this type of purple team assistance. For the red versus blue side where you're doing detection, that takes a little bit more because you have to not only know how to use the tools, but how to change the tools to get around alerting so that better rules can be written. And that takes, that takes uh, more experience. That takes like some, like a couple of years of red teaming to kind of know where those, those modifications can happen to get around things. So that's bypass stuff. Makes sense. And, and talking of red team, cause this, again, like purple team, there's different definitions and I feel like the, the red team phrase gets oversold quite a bit for, for someone who, I guess when you said you were doing this years ago and wasn't even sort of coined as red teaming back then, what's, I guess, some of the types of engagements and interesting things you've been involved in? So yeah, Nickerson, Chris Nickerson from Lara has actually coined it best. I think red teaming for me. Now let me, let me take one step back. If, if you, a customer wants a red team and they want to define it as like a pen test or, or, or specific aspects, call it whatever you want. Like <laughs> I, it doesn't matter as long as you're doing what the customer needs to be done to make it, you know, effective for their organization. I don't care if it's a pen test, red team vulnerability assessment or, you know, Hey, who's a, what's it? I, I don't care. Like whatever you want to call it. Well, it's just a title on top of a, of a report at the end of the day. But if you want to like define things when scoping a red team assessment in my eyes and, and how like Chris Nickerson defines it is something that combines all three aspects of it, which is the physical, the social and the digital. And so if you combine all three of those in that Venn diagram, red teams right in the center where, where I can, I can fish your users to get a Wi-Fi password by using some kind of macro to steal their Wi-Fi password, then I show up next to the organization with that Wi-Fi password to start attacking the digital network on the LAN. 
So if I can combine those three in that sense, I think that's a red team. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, The especially consulting companies, the way they try and sell their services as such these days. Yeah, and like I said, at the end of the day, you can call it whatever you want as long as the customer is getting what they need and it doesn't matter. Like, you can call it a red team You're no, all day long and if you're just running Nexpos or Nessus and, and giving them the results of that and that's what they need, someone to look at those results and, and translate those into uh, you know risk scores, then call it a red team. I don't care. Like I am not stuck on a, a terminology. Okay. And obviously with a lot of experience behind you, if, if you're happy to share, I guess, what, what are the sort of interesting war stories or things you've been involved in in terms of red teaming? My favorite story, and this is a little bit of bravado, assigned to it but my favorite story is the is the day i walked on water and Sorry, that's what? that's <laughs> yep yep then that's the that's the awesome part so we did this assessment of an organization and it was a like i said red team assessment where we had all all three aspects in, involved and we went to this place and did our site survey. So our site survey is we don't actually go on site or anything. We, we meet with the point of contact off, off site and we, we then do a little bit of you know, surveillance to look at the, the organization from an outside point of view. Now this place had not only guard dogs, electric fence, bulletproof entryways and, and armed guards. They had a, a raging river behind them. Like... <laughs> There was no entering from the back end where someone wasn't going to see you. There was no entering from the sides because it was all electric fence. Like, and they had the electric fence so far out that their wireless wasn't even accessible from that range. So we didn't have like many options when we did our site survey. And we went back to the customer after our site survey. We flew back and we're like, like we have no idea how we're going to get in here, but we're going to try and we're going to do our best. But like, just so you know, don't expect too much. And so it came time to do our assessment and it was, and we started the site survey somewhere around like August timeframe and it got delayed and delayed and delayed. And we went out in February sometime and we go back and we're, we're still stuck. We, we've done like Google video or not video, like Google street view and all these things trying to find everything we even found by watching the center like for hours trying to find where people went to lunch and and the coffee shop so we sat in the coffee shop where people went for for a couple hours but we we were stuck right so we start driving around the entire facility and we notice something different about the about the environment the river behind it had frozen over (laughs) <laughs> the river behind it had frozen over for the first time in 40 years. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty good time. And, and, right. And it unfroze two days after we left. Wow. So it was literally the perfect timing for this assessment because, and it was about two baseball fields wide. Like this is not a small river. And, and so I, drive up or we drive up behind the the facility and and we notice that it's frozen and we start 
trying to walk across it. Now, I don't, I didn't, I grew up near a few rivers or a few <laughs> lakes, but I am nowhere near the like the epic person who can identify when a river is solid enough to walk on or not. So I was risking my life doing this, but I, I totally walked across and we walked right up in and it hit, it was right up against a cliff. So we had to actually scale the cliff, but walked across the river, scaled the cliff and we were inside the facility. And just like many networks, their security was super strong on the outside. But as soon as you were in, you were basically authenticated and you could walk around anywhere. All of the doors were open. There was no RFID on all the doors. Like you could just walk around anywhere. And so we walked right into the cafeteria during lunchtime. And the face that our point of contact had when they saw us come into the cafeteria, because they were at lunch <laughs> too, was priceless. Like I will never forget that face. Like he was just like jaw dropped to the table. It was great. So that's one of my favorite. That's the favorite story I have for you. That's awesome. I had of interest just based on your experience. You know, like you say, the security on the outside is tough. On the inside, not so much. What? Why is that? My guess would be that they had made the assumption that you know security guards plus plus electric fence plus bulletproof <laughs> and you know armed guards was enough. And so, if you could get past that, you basically were authenticated, right? So, just like a VPN, if if username and password and a certificate and a computer certificate is what you have for authentication. Like most people think that's enough, right? That's enough security that, and two factor authentication, including a certificate, like that would be enough to get into the organization. And so I think that that's their mindset, right? Like they considered all of those security steps enough that they didn't need anything past that. Yeah. That, that didn't take into account walking on water. <laughs> well, I mean, that risk model, that threat, that threat model hadn't <laughs> crossed their desk in 40 years. So like, I can understand. Well, at least it's there for the future now. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so as a red teamer, what, what do you think the future looks like in red teaming? That's a tough one. I think more of the same, unfortunately. Like I don't, the, the problem is that I don't think red teaming or pen testing moves the needle worldwide enough, right? It's not, it's not really our job to do that. It's our, our job as pen testers and red teamers to kind of keep the level going with the current pace and trying those new exploits or trying those zero days or trying the old exploits or whatever, just trying to keep everyone's head above water essentially. So that's that's our job as red teamers and pen testers is keep organizations above water. So I don't think there's really a future change to us. But what I do see as as hopefully getting better is just like the just like buffer overflows are no longer, you know, commonplace. The more that we do things as pen testers and red teamers and and highlight those, you know, generalities the more that companies that can actually make the change discover those possible that those possibilities of change and and do them so you know the fact that a bunch of pen testers and red teamers were using buffer overflows to pop networks that really didn't make any change but the big change happened when 
when IT people got frustrated by those those you know red teamers and pen testers continuing to pop their networks and designed ASLR and designed and decided from a Microsoft standpoint that we're going to put you know Microsoft Vista is going to have ASLR built in and and those overarching changes are really where the change is going to happen. That's the future. And the more that, that pen testers and red teamers can highlight where those opportunities are is really where what's going to actually make future, the future brighter, essentially. Cool. And I guess talking of future, for, for those aspiring to follow in your footsteps, so whether it's red teaming, purple teaming, what are maybe some of the skill sets you'd recommend that people should be looking at trying to build up and, and raise their knowledge to, to try and help in their career? <laughs> That's a hard question because uh, you, I used to think I used to think that you had to you, you had to have passion. You had to spend you know four hundred hours a day looking at all the new things, looking at all the different skills and techniques, and try everything and and do everything. But there have been people in my career that I've been coworkers with that has changed that reality for me. There was a, I worked with a mathematician who she was, she entered pen testing directly from being a mathematician and was hands down one of the best pen testers I've ever met. So uh, there was a, a IT admin who went directly into pen testing that his, the reason why he got selected for the red team was because he did all of the detection me- measures on his own without any approval just because he was tired of the red team, you know, breaking into his stuff. <laughs> and we, we hire or the, the manager hired him because he was tired of him getting detected by him. <laughs> right. So like, I don't think there is a, a path into this field, uh, offense or defense or even IT or security, whatever path you're on, when you feel the, that you're ready for it, and even sometimes when you're not, like, just try it. Like, if it's for you, it's for you. I don't think there's a, a, a good path in. Like, my path was Rob gets thrown into the deep end every single time. That was not awesome, but, like, <laughs> I learned a ton because of it. So, you know, everyone from being a, a college grad who wants to be a pen tester, who, who goes directly into pen testing to a college professor in mathematics to becoming a pen tester, like it's all possible. It just really depends on what, what you want to do with your life and how you want to live it. So I don't know. I, I, I'm, that's a long breath answer to your question, but I don't know if I answered it. In some way, yes. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I guess let's say from your perspective are there any particular skills that you built up through your career that you found particularly useful on your journey that's a good question I feel that empathy is is the biggest success of my career learning empathy and the reason, the way that I mean that is getting back to that, that just sanitize input stuff. A pen tester who doesn't have the empathy of having to have built a web application and tried to sanitize input or tried to make it as secure as possible won't have the empathy of how hard it is 
for that person to make that change, right? So I've seen a bunch of pen test reports that have like disable LLMNR and NetBIOS because it's bad, because Responder is an easy attack to get all of these hashes out of your Windows organization. And to do that, most pen testers don't understand that that is not an easy change. That like that is not something that is like boom boom, thank you, ma'am, I'm done. That is a a registry setting that has to be set for every single user for every single machine for it to be effective. And doing that via GPO, now there's now how-tos on how to do it, but it was not for a very long time a straightforward thing. It was a registry setting that you had to know exactly where in the Windows registry was to make that change and not break everything. And so getting back to your question, empathy, learning empathy, learning learning how to build something so that you have the empathy to know how hard it is to fix it is I think my, the, the biggest skill that I wish more people going into this industry had. Like you, if you ever tell someone to fix something, you should be able to not only build the same thing, but also make the change yourself to know how that change affects a lab VM or, or a lab machine or even a corporate machine that you've had to build yourself. That's good advice. And uh, I think doing it that way, you'd, you'd certainly uh, win a lot more friends and be able to make even more influence. Right. And I guess that's what it's all about, influencing change. Hopefully. Hopefully it's not just popping shells. That's, that's <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. some people's goal in red teaming and pet testing just get as many shells as possible and that's that's just not the path for me fair enough great rob thank you so much for your time it's been great chatting to you and learning from you and it's been awesome thank you thanks for having me i i enjoyed myself and i'm sorry for talking so much oh it's been a pleasure honestly yeah great to catch up Thanks for listening. And if you've got any questions, comments, please reach out to me. You'll find me online anywhere, CyberSec Ricky. And if you would like to be involved in the future, maybe be a guest and then reach out as well. Thanks for your time. Have a great day. Bye.